It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and good morning. Here we are once again, our weekly gathering of HRs, IOs, recruiters, and one actor. Everyone trying to help people in the world of business. And Jeremy, we've got a really kind of interesting one today. And I have to admit, I I sort of (laughs) Googled this one. Because it was a little confusing to me not being an I.O. or an H.R., but I looked into it and uh, it, today is the day we're going to answer all those questions. Uh, it looks like that I've been asking about how do you make training actually work? Yeah, and we're, we're not short on the short titles today. Prioritizing personal and professional growth through knowledge, transfer and learning organizations. And that's a lot, a lot of big words smacked all together. That's why I had to Google it. Yeah. Hey, me too, Tom. Me too. Speaking of Google, we did uh, the reference that we're going to look at today is available, which is great. So that means uh, I can do a screen share and we can talk about some of the some of the tables. the The target article, which I put in the chat for everyone, you can just click on the link there and pull it up for yourselves. It's by. Uh, Zacharias Bond Bannard and Van Waveren. It's called Improving Knowledge Transfer Processes to Address Skills and Knowledge Gaps Between Senior and Junior Staff and Engineering Projects. It's from the South African Journal of Industrial Engineering. There is so much in this particular article that is just absolutely beneficial. I'm going to pull it up in a second so that everyone can see. But just to get us started, where yes, it's specific to an engineering to the to an engineering firm. The particular study was done. It was a large engineering firm, 500 to 800 people. There were 30 participants involved. 15 were juniors, 15 were seniors in the organization. This one explicitly looked at the knowledge transfer between you know different levels, right? Seniority versus not seniority in an organization. There's so much though that went into this research into the background gaining of knowledge 
to create and start to map out what can be done. Because for our topic today, we're going to look at, first, we have to look at knowledge transfer and learning organizations. So how do you work that knowledge? What are some of the barriers and what are some of the different different, uh, levels, per se, that an organization might be in? And then we have to manage and and walk that tightrope today in terms of how do we make sure that we know what to do and how do we take it into the personal and the professional development and to prioritize it for that. I think the baseline that organizations need to start with is what is their philosophy on developing employees? Meaning, is their philosophy... We don't want to, basically it's a, it's a yes or no. What's the, what's that saying? Train them to leave, train them and develop them so that they're able to leave your company and thrive elsewhere, but treat them so that they stay. So is it a yes or no with your company to that philosophy? Because that's going to determine whether or not you want to engage in this and really become a learning organization and truly develop your employees, whether you want to check a box, just check a box or not. So those are some of the baseline questions. In this particular study, I'm going to start out uh, with what the research questions are, because we can change the, some of the, you know, the nouns, I guess, to fit whatever we're trying to look at in terms of if we're talking about not just junior or senior staff, but are we talking about, you know, junior to junior or whatever it may be. Here are the research questions. What are the factors and barriers that affect knowledge transfer between senior and junior staff and engineering organizations? How can these factors and barriers be overcome uh, so that the skills and knowledge gaps are decreased? And then what are the methods that can be used to retain the knowledge transferred between the staff in these particular projects? So I'm going to stop there, turn it over to you, Tom, and then I'm going to share my screen. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And it looks like from what you know, listening to you, it sounds like we're going to take it sort of in depth, but then these practices can be used in the transfer of information. So this is going to be sort of like, here's the garden path to get there. Yeah. it's And that's why I'm always amazed because we do these events and then it's all right, let's do some research. And I, it's, I think there was one time, I think it, probably the last one that, that we did where it took quite a bit of time because it was a very vague, vague topic. This one's equally as vague. But just within, this is only the second article that I found. And there was just so much information here. I had to stop myself and say, just concentrate on this one. So Tom, you can see my screen. Is that correct? I can. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Let me make it just a little bigger in terms of the text. Where do we start? And we talk about this all the time. Where exactly do we start as a starting point where we can determine where are we in our organization? Where do we want to be? And how do we get there? And a gold mine of an article here with so much information is a good starting point. So here we can we have just some general uh, the hindrances, right? Time, maturity of knowledge, articulation of knowledge. So that's a little you know you can go over that, read over that. Where the gold mine comes in is where we start to look at what are the knowledge transfer steps. This is where we can see where if we're an organization, where are we at? Are we And it's, I mean, I don't want to just sit in here and read from it because it's all there, but you've got your knowledge transfer steps, awareness, acquisition, transformation, association, application, and knowledge feedback. And then you have a description of it. And I'm trying to balance that line between people who are going to be able to view this on the video, our audience, and then hear it on the podcast. 
I want to share these stages right here. So here's where you have the awareness stage, particular factors, barriers. And then this is the gold mine that you're talking about. How do you improve the knowledge transfer? This was a really good article because there was some feedback on in terms of quotes, where what are some of the barriers? Seniors, and this is something that we can guess that we've talked about, seniors fear becoming redundant or risk losing job security. If I train the, some of our juniors really well and they rise to the top, what happens to my job? That makes sense. But what about this one? I don't want to make it too easy for the junior employees. Senior employees in this study felt that they had to work hard for the knowledge they gained and that simply sharing it would reduce the problem solving and critical thinking more or less of the junior employees. So now you have these seniors saying, I'm going to hoard my knowledge. And unless they learn the hard knocks way, how to figure these things out, they're not going to really do well. That's a philosophy. That's a particular perspective, but it makes sense because now we're able to see what people in these organizations, what the, what some of the holdbacks are. Again, I'll refer people. This article will be in the description wherever you're watching this. And of course, it's in the chat for now. What I have highlighted here are some of the things that I thought were interesting. Before I turn it right back over to you, Tom, I want to share something that I thought was pretty wild. So in this particular organization, we have knowledge transfer mechanism used in their effectiveness. Yellow means not used at all. So there weren't any think tank session used at all. And that's one of the things that when, you, when you're reading through the study that junior employees thought would be one of the most beneficial things is to say, look, can we get a think tank together with some of the seniors, some of the juniors, and we can do that problem solving and that knowledge sharing and together. And that's a really big deal. But to know that there's there were not think tank sessions in this large organization, five to 800 people, there's no knowledge repository, there's no knowledge transfer and monitoring program, and there's no training program. But the good news is outlined here is really everything that I know it's weird. It's weird, Tom, because these are long, quite frankly, they're boring looking documents, <laughs> but it does, I'll mention, it takes just a little bit of time, 10 minutes to sit down with one of these particular doc documents and start to be able to pull out all of the all of the gold from it. So I will say, look, I get it. It, it, it makes sense. And even looking back, oh, here we go. This is this provides, Tom, you're saying what can be actually be done. How do you make that work? This right here is the stage that an organization might be in, for example, awareness or the acquisition of knowledge stage. And here are the exact things. What can we do? Here's exactly what they can do. And here's the description. Meaning if you're in the acquisition stage, consider having think tank sessions. And there's a full description of that. Consider having knowledge sharing sessions. Consider a work, consider work shadowing, a mentorship program, project site visits, project presentations, social networking. And there's all descriptions here. But this is a roadmap. This is it's like a blueprint for a house, but just not in blueprint form. It's just more an outline form. Tom. We're going to go to Maria in a second, but before we do, Maria, I, I do have a question for you, Jeremy, because you kind of hit on something, and so I want to throw this out there. Why do people my age have such a issue listening to people in their 20s? I mean, 
And if you're listening on the podcast, yes, if you're in your 20s, you can be annoying, but they're smart. Uh, they see the world in a different way and and their intelligence. Why do <laughs> why do we look at people who are in their 20s as, oh, well, they have very little value, except that, you know, they have to work hard and do the things that I did so that they're as what strong or smart as me, where I could basically, you know, give them the directions on a map to get to where I am and maybe they'll go further. So what is that hesitation we have with generational issues? Generational issues, it was listed here and I'll refer to this because in general, that that may be the case. That may be the case with with certain people in organization. I think overall though, I think it's a really nice, overall, I think there's a great appreciation for the senior and the junior levels. I think overall, in general, in the workplace, seniors have an appreciation for the, the I, <laughs> I mean this, Tom, <laughs> for the ideas, for the energy, and for everything else, uh, all the gusto that the that the younger generations bring. And I think the younger generations really have a, a good perspective, a great respect, and a desire to learn. And I say that because that's the way I feel. And also because that's really what is stated here too, that the juniors have a great respect and that the seniors have a respect otherwise. However, to your point, Tom, like I showed and I shared with that highlighted text, that was one, that was a comment that was made. Now, when we look at studies, and this is important to note, when you look at, this is a qualitative study, meaning they did interviews. You're not looking at all the heavy statistics that a quantitative study provides. What that means is you also have a smaller sample size because in a, if you're doing qualitative data, you might have, I don't know, let's say you might have 300 respondents, people in the study. It's hard. It's almost, it's not, it's almost unimaginable to sit here and do 300 interviews and pull out that kind of qualitative data and the methods in which to extract that data, code it, et cetera, is different. So that being said, we have a smaller sample size in this quali- in this qualitative study, meaning qualitative information provides us usually something that we might not know. It's so open-ended. That's why it's an interview where it's not choose one, it's tell us what you think. Just like we can't, so that there was that comment in there. And yes, that comment probably applies to a lot of people. I, I get it. But we have to take these kinds of qualitative inquiries with a grain of salt in order to say, here's something, now let's explore that further. For example, if I had a, Tom, if I had an experience on JetBlue, is JetBlue still an airline? Does anyone know they are? Okay. If I had an experience on JetBlue and it was a terrible experience and I go and tell everyone never don't fly JetBlue because that's, it's a bad experience. A lot of people, you know, if, if I'm a uh, uh, influencer they might say, great, I'm not flying JetBlue, but that's not right because it's only one small sample size of one doesn't really do much. It's just something to look into and explore. So we have a small sample size here, which means we have things to look into and explore. But Tom, so I just wanted to give that because that's important in terms of when we're looking at a study. Is it generalizable? We look at generalizability. Are the results of this study generalizable to what we're looking at it for? And we have to take note, look, this was a this was a, a study done in another country, and because it's a study done in another country, we have to say: do, do the results of this study apply? Are they generalizable to an, to uh, another country that has different systems, different values, X, Y, Z? So those are also things that we need to take be careful of. If you're new, 
especially if you're new to understanding what these studies are all about. Back to your original question, Tom, because sometimes I remember what your original question was. Knowledge transfer stage association, it says there is a generational gap between senior and junior employees in this study. The generation gap between senior and junior employees led to a lack of common ground, which in turn led to difficulties in transferring knowledge. One respondent said communication between people from different generations can become an obstacle when sharing knowledge. So that validates, Tom, your particular question. And I'm going to, I see lots of hands up. So I'm going to defer to someone else to more specifically answer your question. It was important to give some of the background. Tom? Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. It's interesting. We used to talk about the generation gap with our kids or you know, with me, it was my parents. Um, and now we talk about the generation gap with our employees. Uh, Maria, let's go to you. Um, so I think Jeremy hit, uh, you know, the point of one of the things that I was going to mention, and that's the cultural gaps, um, which there's also intercultural gaps in those countries as well, right? Depending on the uh, industry you're in, depending on the uh, culture of each organization. Um, but bear with me for a minute, because I don't know if it's common to new um, IO folks, um, but I find that everything I do now when I'm observing, my IO brain is slowly kicking in. And last night I was watching Top Gun Maverick, and I won't I won't have any spoilers here, but I realized that um, there were two commanders, if you will, right? And Tom Cruise was the um, the lesser of the two, but he was training the team. And I again I won't give any spoilers, but I, what I found uh, interesting was that here you have two leaders, but their goals are not the same. So the first commander, the commander over Tom Cruise, is he just wants the mission accomplished. Tom Cruise wants to accomplish the mission, but with everybody coming out alive. And therein lies the difference, you know? So if you're going to transfer knowledge and guidance to junior folks, we have to make sure that the people at the senior level are also aligned with one another, because that creates, to Tom's point, that creates a whole communication gap um, and it, it sets them up for disaster. Yes, it certainly does. Um, and thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. A couple of things here. I think first and foremost, if we want successful knowledge transfer at any organization, we need for the organization to have learning as part of its culture and part of its way of doing things. If that's not part of what goes on in that organization, it's going to be that much more difficult to achieve any kind of knowledge transfer that is effective. Now, I can understand that there are people within organizations that maybe are reluctant, reluctant to share knowledge. Some, it may be because of some kind of a um, fear or, or insecurity for their own well-being within that organization. Others may have the attitude of, well, you need to learn this on your own like I did. Why should I just hand you the answers? But this is where we go back to an organization where learning is at the forefront of what they do within that organization. Because if we're talking about knowledge transfer that allows junior members of that organization to benefit, we must make sure that the senior members are getting new knowledge. It can't just be the one kind of knowledge being recycled and those at the top who are sharing this knowledge 
feel like they're not getting anything else where they're moving upward in terms of their own learning. So that's number one. The other thing is I really like the idea of uh, a think tank of junior and senior members coming together for problem solving, because this is a terrific way for people to figure out problems with the senior staff maybe planting some seeds and making suggestions while allowing the junior staff to come to their own conclusions. So here we are collaborating. We have a team effort. We're achieving what we need to achieve in problem solving, but there's actual learning and there there certainly is value in, in coming to a conclusion on your own rather than just being given the answer. But that doesn't mean that the senior members should withhold or that they should be absent from that process. So I think that idea of a think tank of putting the senior and junior members together is a very good idea and could serve very well for knowledge transfer because it's just a different way of transferring knowledge. Uh, let me ask you this because, as you say, there's lots of ways to transfer knowledge and there's lots of different experiences. So are we talking exclusively about white collar workers here or can I take this to the factory floor? Would it be well, this can this can happen in any setting. It doesn't have to be white collar. I mean, how do people learn any kind of task or skill or craft? Somebody who knows how to do that teaches them, whether it's in a college classroom or whether it's in a, a shop somewhere where you're learning hands-on to do a craft, you're learning from someone else. So there's absolutely no limitation of where and how that can be done. Linda Ann, let's go to you. I, I agree wholeheartedly with, with everything that, that Dr. Dr. Martha said, and she's, I was, I'm probably going to reiterate some of those things, <laughs> but I think that one element is against the culture. Is is there learning throughout the culture? And is that differentiation between the senior and junior uh, learning processes or um, learning transfer, is that, are we looking at the difference in how the senior people came up through the organization? And with and Dr. Martha mentioned fear, and that's exactly the first thing that I thought of is when you've been had your career coming up through an authoritarian kind of management system, you're you function in a, a based on fear, right? Am I gonna be fired because I didn't get it right or did I and the Gen Zs have less of that kind of experience? They don't function in based on fear the way that so many of us did growing up. And so they embrace learning and expect learning in a different way. Um, the other thing, too, is, is learning needs to be you only transfer uh, knowledge when the person who it's being transferred to has a motivation to pick it up. And so if there's no motivation to pick it up, if you don't see the reason for that, if it doesn't make sense for you. If you don't have that career path to where it's going, why should I learn this? The likelihood of that transfer is lessened. And as far as that think tank process, um, I think that's important. I think it should go on all the time. And what I would like to see is that the junior people go first, because if you have the senior people go first, then the likelihood that you're just going to take your 
corporate environment and transfer it into that think tank is very likely. And so when you have the ideas from the young people, from the junior people coming up first and and allowing them to provide that different perspective, then you have the opportunity for the senior people to, if they if they feel safe, to just say, oh, well, let's tweak that or, or question them about how do you, let's think 10 years down the line and how that will work. And, and in that vein, you know, also senior people have been able, because of the way that things changed, do things the same way for 10 years you know, and have it work, you know, the, the junior people, if they have to, if they do something the same way for 10 months, that's a lot, you know, so it's a very different process. Uh, yes, yes, it totally, totally is. Uh, Cam, welcome to Work Cookie. Let's go to you. Yeah, Cam, your, your mic is muted, Cam. Sorry, I thought I was, I thought I was muting my mic. I was lowering my hand. But I was just going to say, reiterate what was said about insecurity. When you look at that list of steps that Jeremy put up in the, the objections, insecurity was all through that. And I think that Dr. Martha, when she brought up the, the idea of we're all continuously learning, it's natural for us when we're teaching other people to teach them in the way that we were taught. Unless you have a lot of training in pedagogy and, and training, you're you're just going to naturally go to whatever way you were taught. And so that's not necessarily malicious on people's parts, but the insecurity, if, if I'm a senior engineer and frankly layoff for senior engineers, that might be irrational fear. <laughs> that might not be a, a, an irrational anxiety, but if I'm a senior engineer and the culture is learning, then I'm continuously improving myself, to put it in engineering terms. And as I'm passing that knowledge down, I don't have to be afraid because I am growing smarter and better and faster and wiser every day. Um, and one thing that can kind of offset the insecurity if you're talking to some of these insecure leaders um, is the, the loyalty, the, the gratitude that juniors have. These young employees are desperate to be poured into, to be mentored, to be, you know, whatever term you want to use, but they're desperate for, they say they want more supervision, but what they really want is more training and more guidance. And if you can give that to them, then you have a, a loyal band of followers in your own organization. If you can give it to them, I think that's that's one of those key issues, Cam. But let me ask you this. Work has has definitely changed over the last, you know, 100 years. But isn't it true to say that, you know, 100 years ago, we didn't have these issues as as much as we do now, because what I might had to have learned 100 years ago as an employee might have been, you know, this much. But now what I have to learn is huge so do you think that's part of what we're seeing, too, is just the amount of knowledge that people need to to grasp or retain, um, even the idea of an engineer who, you know, has graduated with a Ph.D.? Chances are 10 or 15 years down the line, there's a new way of looking at engineering where maybe that didn't happen 100 years ago. So is that part of the mix as well? That and the pace of change. What a wonderful world we live in. Uh, Eva, let's go to you. Hello, everyone. Hope there's no background noise on my end. I would like to add, um, maybe in this situation, we need to help the organizations, help the employees, help them to understand how to think instead of what to think. 
Because I deal with a 23-year-old, aka my son, and 23-year-olds have their own way of doing things. But I've been able to maintain a certain relationship with him moving forward because I teach him how to think. And when I start to tell him what to think, then there's a whole big drama that will come along with that. So if I look at an organization um, as a whole, you know, the, the bigger picture, I think we can minimize, everybody's going to have some insecurities at some point in their career. But if we set them up in a way to give them the, the tools to teach them, you know, how to think through things, then I think we can lower the, you know, the, um, the potential of having these meltdowns in organizations that we can't move forward. I think a lot of times when we are helping individuals, if we don't teach them how to think, then we become stuck in, in what is being, being said. So we give them these tools to move forward in this critical thinking um, realm of things, then I think we can move forward. Otherwise, we're teaching them how to stay in the past. And then we can't really move forward in the organizations like we want to. So that would be my, my addition for today. Well, and that's a great addition because you know, I remember working with first-year students in post-secondary. And yeah, there's definitely knowledge they have to learn. But just sharing with them the notion that you don't have to think like your parents for some of them was like earth shattering. Uh, and then the challenge of actually opening their eyes and getting them to think as independent thinkers. So thank you very much for that. Linda, and let's go to you. I think that that comment was spot on. And that's been true for, for a very long time. When you teach people the, the process, the thought process, first of all, they're much more open to the, the, the information and, and the thought process. Um, and they, they problem solve better. I mean, and that doesn't matter. I did that with 13 year olds, you know, and, and I did it with, you know, 30 year olds. It's always um, the same and it gives them that autonomy that they're looking for. And right. And, and then they also um, then they gain, have a better opportunity to gain those little to experience those little stumbles that give them different perspective. Um, so I think that's a, a, a great way to, to approach things. And when I would leave on vacation, I would, that's exactly what I would do for, for my team. Okay. This is the first thing you think of when you come up with a situation, you know, is there a legal issue? Is there, uh, is there this, is there that? Okay. And if, if you figured all that out and you've made a good decision, go with it, you know, and if I come back and there's problems with that, then we fix it. But the, you know, we're not looking at perfection in life, right? Um, which so many of us who were raised in authoritarian environments, we were expected to be perfect. And that's um, a real limiting factor, I think. So, yeah, teaching people how that thought process and to enjoy that process, to have it be a really positive experience opens the entire world. Let me ask you something, because it's it's very similar to what I'm hearing from um, elders in the indigenous community, which I'm I'm luckily spending some time with and, and learning a lot from, but they talk about raising kids and don't give them the answers, present them with the options and let them travel the path. And, and sometimes, yeah, they're going to make mistakes, uh, but when they make the discoveries themselves, it's much stronger. Is is that sort of where we want to be going? I, I think so. Now, we let's take a step and look at this engineering firm and where that might not be working, right? One of the limiting factors could be, you know, and having worked in an engineering firm is, you know, those deadlines, 
And is the organization properly managing those deadlines and allowing for that learning process to take place? Or are they just putting it, breaking it up into segments where you, you know, go ahead and because it was an architecture and engineering firm, some people just drew windows all day, you know, and so to get the job out and to have it be consistent and have it be, you know, certain level of quality. So you have to look at what your model is and in any environment and do you allow for that iterative learning process and is it okay? Yeah. Maria, let's go to you. You know, in, in medicine, they have a, um, a thing called teach back, um, where if a doctor or a nurse is prescribing medication to a patient, um, they want to make sure that the patient understood what the doctor was instructing. Um, that often happens. Sometimes it may or may not, um, but the patient is supposed to leave with a better understanding. And I think, you know, Linda Ann and, um, and Eva both mentioned similar things in, you know, in communication. I think, you know, I just had a meeting with a colleague and he said something interesting to me, which, you know, I, it was a big takeaway for me. He said, we were talking about something. He said, you know what? I think instead of making more statements, I'm going to ask more questions because I think I'll get more bang for my buck with this particular situation that we were discussing. And I said, you know, um, I think I'm going to take your advice, even though you're not giving it, because I think in the long run with this particular project, it will give us um, so much more material to work with. And I think we can't assume that in transferring the knowledge that they're going to understand the way it's being presented. So we do have to, you know, take the extra step of making the assurance that these senior level folks are in fact making sure that the junior level folks understand. Because to a certain degree, whether we have generational differences or not, we may communicate differently. You know, someone in a senior position may have been trained in a very different manner than those in the same industry. So asking the questions um, and making sure that at least the, the foundational information is understood is very important. Rule number one, get your communication in order. Yes. <laughs> because it really does come down to that. Uh, and Manny, welcome back. Let's go to you. Hey, thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> I think I just wanted to give an example in addition to what um, what uh, my fellow colleagues have, have said in terms of where I, I would say where I usually come from. I don't know if it's just how it is here in the USA, but usually where I come from as a teenager, we had this whole thing. Mostly when you tell somebody the whole rules of do not do this, we're always going to be inquisitive and ask as to, as in we're always going to be inquisitive and ask why they're asking us not to do that. But when we are kind of like explained uh, the reason as to why we shouldn't do it, you can, you somehow click it and then even more open to, you know, to the whole reason as to why they're telling you not to do that. So in most cases, I feel like it's not different from what organizations are doing. So we have all these policies and stuff. And when we get on board, all we are seeing is someone just telling us, don't do this, don't do that. And all we're just see, all we're just seeing is just someone being restrictive, someone being um basically seeing someone being strict on us. And also somehow it also kind of gives us the whole element of you know being insulted intelligent you know insulting your intelligence like as if I can't think for myself or or like as if I can't do anything for myself so I feel like um in terms of kind of like being open to this whole learning thing somebody said give them options the options I feel like they can be so confusing somehow because when you're giving us more than one options 
we may be kind of like stuck because all that we need is someone saying, all we need is something like mentoring, coaching. Because when I say I'm open to learning, I'm not open to being, to being, um, what's it called? To being micromanaged. I'm not open to being told what, 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 what the policies are, what the do's and don'ts are. I just want to understand something so I can be open to what, to learning and more. So I just want to give you that as an example that it, it's more appealing. I think it will be more appealing to, to kind of like tell the reason as to why certain things have to go a certain way. And let's not stick into the whole, the whole mumbo jumbo of this is, this is supposed to be this and that's that because I said so or because the organization says so. I feel like, and I think recently I came up with something that said we should stop impersonating the AIs. Most of us are kind of like scared of, of AIs are taking our jobs, but then I'm thinking we should also concentrate on how much we are impersonating the AIs because we are so, we are following a certain strict rule, certain protocols, and we are functioning just like this AI is all like these robots and stuff. Like we are functioning without even being human at the end of the day. So with that being said, if there's something that needs to be kind of like changed to reach somebody where they are at, why not do that? Why are we just still like enforcing the protocol or but the protocol says, you know, I'm currently having an issue with one of my supervisors. They're just stuck on the protocol says, but then I'm like, you're dealing with a human. Can you at least, you know, be be diverse and then maybe have other ways of how you can approach the situation we're having here? So when he goes into his protocol mode, my mind is is switched off. I'm not even thinking, I'm not even listening at the moment, but I just like, I'm waiting for him to just come back and meet me where I am so that we can now work together to, for me to learn something that he really wants me to do. So basically that's what I was just, I just wanted to say, give us an example that when we say don't do that in most cases, where, as in, I'm so like near to the Gen Z's, but where I really came from, when you say you don't do this, don't do that, in most cases, we end up just being inquisitive as to why we are told not to do it. Then we end up doing it. So if it's going to be some bad consequences we're going to get, at least we learn that. But we just continue without even having the fear of, okay, they've told me not to do this. I'm not going to think about the consequences, but I just want to do it and then experience it and then learn from it. So if we can avoid going through the whole process of me just going, uh, getting the bad consequences, and then you show me how to, or you train me, or you coach me or mentor me, I think that would be more appealing and more, more of these young generations being open to ideas because we actually feel, we still feel like, we need to listen because this is where all the knowledge is, the older generation. This is where the old knowledge is. But then the way the message is packaged just puts us, just encloses our minds and not even giving us the open mind to be able to learn. I think that's what I wanted to say. Thank you. Yeah, it's very similar to me when, you know, <laughs> when I'm working, you know, and a supervisor says no, what I hear is no, you can't do it that way in my mind automatically goes to, okay, how do I get you to a yes? What do I need to do to get you to a yes? Um, Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you. I like it, Tom. What do I need to do to get you in this car today? On what Amani was saying about the, the coaching and meeting people where they're at, we've got a good podcast episode. It's on psychological contract or communication pledge. I think that'll be in the title, but that's always a good thing. If you're going to work even with new employees, especially if you're working one-on-one with a mentor or a coach, 
to have a, you know, to sit down 45 minutes, answer a couple of questions with each other. What do we expect to get out of it, et cetera. We have a template at CBOC if anyone's interested, but that's very effective to help meet people where they're at. You're pledging. What's the communication going to look like? Lots of interesting things there. As to what, oh my gosh, who was talking about it? I think, Tom, where I'm going to go is let that thought come back to me. In the meantime, in the meantime, when we're looking at going back to train them so that they stay, train them so that they can leave, develop them so they can leave, but treat them so they can stay. It's If you're going to be a, a learning organization and have that culture of learning, it's important to have, okay, it's important to know what people want to be when they grow up. You know, you know, even if they're 60, what do they want to be when they grow up? What do they want to learn within that particular organization? Do they want to take, are they in and trying to develop themselves to take a similar role at a different company? Are they looking to take a different role at a different company? You know, take, you know, uh, I don't know, somebody works at a grocery store, for example, maybe they want to be a, 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 vet, a veterinary assistant. So that would be, do they want to leave the company and take a different role? Do they want to stay in the company and work their way up? Are they maybe they want to be in human resources at the current company and they're currently the you know working in the bakery? So you have to understand what the different people have. Companies should define what are the different tracks and options that people have within this particular organization. Because now we're getting into the second part of what we're talking about today is prioritizing personal and professional development through the learning. What are the different tracks and what are the different people looking to do? And then how can you augment their, their particular experience? Do you have something like a career pathing program? These things like they, these seem like very difficult things to put together. They're worth it because it helps with employee retention. I, I think about this question a lot. How many, you know, how many of you in the audience are listening have ever had a job where you say, you know, I have a, a degree in X, Y, or Z, but this job. I learned so much during this job. It was like I got another degree or a second degree because you learn so much. There's a learning curve. You're learning all kinds of new things. You're learning new people, new types of interactions. There's so much that you're learning and that's so valuable. So if employees are seeing this as a great learning experience, they're not just seeing it as them learning. They're developing professionally, but they see themselves as developing personally as well and coming into their own. So organizations can really, I'll say, feed off of that in terms of what they have employees that are passionate about something. How can we utilize this as an organization to get the most out of the salaries that we're paying for them, latch on to what they're passionate about, learning and developing for X, Y, Z? How can we create a a certain path, use different methods? And those methods be, just like in our article for today, Tom, Mentorship programs, work shadowing, knowledge transfer programs, uh, project site visits, think tank sessions. These are all things that benefit the company. It's hard for a lot of companies. We get it because it's time off the clock. It's time off the floor. It's the majority of training dollars and development dollars often go without any kind of return on investment because companies, a lot of times, let's face it, check the box because we want it to look like we're doing something. And I'll go back to a lot of companies have the time and money, don't have the time and money to do it right the first time, but they always have the time and money to do it again. So if you're looking at doing something, becoming a learning organization, making sure that you develop your people personally and professionally, do it in a strategic way, do it in a way that's replicable 
so that you're not spinning your wheels with how do we do it for this department or this level? Do it global, but think individual. And that can really help these organizations define what their program is going to be and make it work for a more sustainable organization. And my goodness, does it help retention, Tom? Uh, great advice, but I'm going to suggest hire an IO. Um, <laughs> a good suggestion, Tom. This. I'll second that. Don't, don't walk this path alone. Get yourself a good IO uh, to take you through it. And it really does go through the entire training process, does it not? Where it's, you know, an IO will come in and they will do the research to understand what the learning needs are. Then they'll take you through the learning process and then they'll make sure there's feedback after the learning, right? Yeah. One thing that, as I know, as, as IOs, we all despise a, a check the box. We want things to be done purposefully so that they actually make an impact and they make sense for, it makes sense for everyone all around. And especially the business's bottom line or else we're out of work. So we, it, we're, it's good because we have our eye on, on global, but we're also able to think more specifically in terms of business goals, objectives, data and analytics, and what's important in the, in the end in terms of the employee experience, retention, et cetera, et cetera. On not that note, the thought that I had earlier was about something Maria said about the teach back and how important the teach back is. One of the absolute best ways to learn anything is to teach someone else. There's this concept called three-person pe- three teaching. Anytime I do a group type of event or a group kind of training, I always, the first thing is get out of the mindset of you're here to to gain knowledge. Think instead that you're here, your goal is to be able to teach other people the things that you're learning. When we teach other people things, we come up with our own analogies that, that mean something. We come up with our own examples. We think back to our own experiences. And these start to engrave in our in our brain through this process of called elaborative rehearsal that help us to encode things differently so that we remember what we're learning and we're also able to ap- apply it when we're focusing on learning it in a way that we can teach others. Tom? Sounds like rehearsal to me. <laughs> Let's go to Dr. Martha. As our conversation unfolds, one idea that has come into focus here is the importance of finding that middle ground between two extremes and those extremes being hoarding or withholding knowledge on one end and simply giving it away without any kind of effort or engagement. Because as we hear over and over again, there is value to discovering things on our own. There is value in going through a certain process to learn. But at the same time, it doesn't have to take a lifetime. We can do it in such a way that a person is still engaged and still thinking and still learning but it doesn't take any longer than it really needs to. So I think this is what's another important point for organizations. And it will vary from a person to person, and it will vary within organizations. But it's important to remember that as we talk about knowledge transfer, there has to be some kind of a happy middle uh, between those two extremes on, on that spectrum. And only then will there be I think the most takeaway and the most value in that knowledge transfer, because it wasn't just a dump of information. There was some actual experiences and processing going on with it. And of course, 
There wasn't that hoarding or withholding of information. So happy middle, I think, is important to remember here. And Linda Ann, let's go to you. Dr. Martha and I are on the same wavelength today. So one thing that I wanted to bring up is, you know, in the process of of knowledge transfer, I think there's ways to make it more of a, a knowledge discovery process right? And utilization of Socratic method is very, very helpful in that process. What's beautiful and bridging about that process is as a senior person, you know the questions to ask to get the person to come to that self-discovery, right? So, and then also that process helps with so many organizations want people to be creative and innovative, and they're looking for that in, in their employees. But if you're constantly beating them on the top of the head, this is how you have to do it. You've squashed all the creativity and innovation out of them. But if you go ahead and allow them to answer questions or to start thinking about you know, how to solve questions, that allows that creativity and innovation to bubble up. And one other thing too is a lot of times senior people will say, well, we do it this way because, and or, or we've tried that. We've tried that already. You know, it's the, the young person will come up and say, well, why don't we do it this way? And instead of saying it, well, we tried that. What I prefer to do is to say, okay, I have given that a shot. And these were the obstacles we ran into. Think about how you might solve that, that let's say, conquer that obstacle or whatever, because then we can basically utilize you, that concept. Yeah, I think that that uh, that's all I have to say at that <laughs> Well, you said it well, uh, but let me ask you this, because being someone who formerly was you know, working in post-secondary and teaching young actors, you know, who very open to learning, but you do take them down paths where all of a sudden the fear factor comes in, you know, and I can see the same thing in, in, and maybe even face the same thing. I'm old enough now that, you know, when computers came along and all of a sudden, you know, we had to learn all this stuff, there was some fear of, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not capable of learning new technology. And so how do we deal with that when we're trying to train people who have some real ingrained fears about what might be coming down the pipe? Well, so help me understand really, really what, what you're asking again. As you as you take learners down the, the path of learning, there are times when they will fall into fear where their reaction to new learning is fear because they might not feel they're capable of gaining that knowledge. If I was, you know, somebody who had to learn accounting and I'm not very good at math, you know, that might be an issue which causes me some fear. So how do we deal with those hesitations to learning when someone isn't open to learning or do Hmm. they just have to be open to learning or we may as well go on to person B? I, I, you know, Wow, I don't think I've ever really run into somebody who wasn't open to learning. That's amazing. Um, um, and I guess it's just really helping them understand, well, first, what's the worst that can happen, right? To take that, to do that, um, and then breaking it down into small enough steps so that it doesn't feel overwhelming, you know? And then the other thing... <laughs> I used to tell when the when the kids would say, "Well, I don't know how to do that." I said, "I wasn't born knowing how either." You know, it's we have to learn the process. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, I see that uh, Baiju. I believe that's how you pronounce it. I see your hand up. Uh, maybe you've got an answer for me. Go ahead. Hi, uh, Bijou here. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind because I have taught younger kids 
as well as college students. And one thing I've realized, which I think we can also apply in organizations, my question when it comes to their fear of um, learning or even their fear of failure, the question that comes to mind for me is, what consequences do they think are going to happen if they can't learn it, right? Because if you're in a job and you are expected as an accountant to learn some new technology or you're not that good at statistics and you now have to learn how to do statistical analyses, I can see where there would be some fear if you think, okay, if I don't do this right, they're going to get somebody else. They're going to hire someone else. I might lose my job. You know, so the question is, what consequences have you put in place or implied or suggested that would make somebody afraid to learn or resistant to learn and therefore, you know, hold themselves back? So that might be something for uh, leaders as well as it, it applies in every um, aspect of life from organizations to parenting to relationships. The consequences are always the question. So maybe making it acceptable for them to fail the first time or maybe um, giving them, letting them know, hey, it's okay if it takes you much longer than somebody else because everybody's different. We're talking about individuals here. So your learning style might be different or for some reason or another, this is a challenge for you. So creating that space where they can mess up, they can take a bit longer to learn it. Because again, the point is that they learn it. It's not about how long it takes. And it's that it, they do their work efficiently as a result of learning these things. And you're absolutely right that failure is really, truly the best teacher out there. Uh, we are getting short on time, but I see Amanda and Linda Ann's hands still up. So let's get to you guys. And then Jeremy, will throw it back to you. Go ahead, Amanda. A number of the items that are being talked about is actually talking about a couple of things that is actually related to the research that I'm doing right now, where uh, Carol Dweck end up and ended up having a phrase that is very um, igniting of a growth mindset. So it, is it a fear response or is someone actually in a true fixed state where they believe they have that inherent belief that they cannot learn because their talents are innate? So if someone has that fixed mindset, the use of the word yet at the end of a sentence, you don't know that yet. You haven't done that yet has demonstrated to be a significant word with both children upwards to adults and adolescents. Um, so it really kind of if you notice someone has a fixed mindset versus fear could be just a really easy three letter word to leverage. Yes, it works effectively for college students, too. Uh, Linda, let's go to you. I think in, in answer to the, your question from a couple minutes ago, I think that when someone is really challenged with the learning process, one thing that is helpful for me in working with them is to understand where their gap in knowledge is. Why is it hard for them to make that step? Where's that gap? And then helping them see, understand how that information that I'm trying to impart fits into their current paradigm. So where can they apply it? Where can they build it into what they already know? Um, but that only under that only works when they have that right level of, of knowledge. So you have to really look at where is that gap to begin with, build that gap up, and then um, or that fill that gap and then help them understand where the, the knowledge fits into their paradigm. So if I end up working with someone on improving their speaking skills and their 
hesitant because they don't like speaking in public, it really will give them the strength not only to take those skills and develop them for their business career, but it's also going to help their personal life as well. And and quite often, a lot of the training we're talking about is not only going to affect your business life, but they, it will actually come into your personal life as well and potentially make that better as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Jeremy, um, we're actually a couple of minutes over time, um, but there are some things coming up that you might want to talk about. Yes. First, Linda Ann said, she I'll quote, she said something about it, instead of letting it bubble up. And I've been waiting as soon as she said it, I said, oh, it's a perfect little segue to our event uh, next week. The title is Spring Cleaning in the Workplace, Refreshing Outdated Processes. And what does that have to do with bubbles? Well, your serenity now moment for the day is a jar full of spilled bubblegum balls with a nice purple background, and it just looks very calming. If you haven't got your ticket yet and you want to see that picture again for yourself or you're listening on the podcast, go get a ticket to next week's event. And the week after that, Tom, when's the last time you saw a floppy disk, which is the picture? <laughs> a lot of people, what's a floppy disk? Refreshing job positions and outdated roles. So that's the, uh, the picture that we have for that particular event. Lots. Oh my gosh, Tom, there's a lot of exciting things coming about. I'll leave that as a, as a, a teaser, a lot of interesting things in the background, including a special event that we have coming up in August, but less I digressed. That's it. It's been a great one today, Tom, I'm guessing you're going to ask me to count it out. So we'll see you everyone next Thursday. And if you're listening, and you want to join our live event, just go to cbock.com slash events and join us. Great job, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.